Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. So this week we are chatting with Cindy Stibbard from Divorce Redefined. So Cindy is a divorce coach. And when she divorced four years ago, she saw that there was a gap in the support for couples going through divorce. And actually, she quickly learns that lawyering up isn't always the best way to do it. And it costs a freaking fortune. So after she made it through her divorce, she decided to fill the gap, which I love because I love me a female entrepreneur with that mindset. Women, we create what we need. Now, in this episode, Cindy and I dive into all things divorce. We talk about projection and how you really can't take anything personally when someone is mistreating you because it's often a reflection of their own insecurities and them projecting all of their crap onto you. We talk about the biggest mistakes people make in divorce, why it's important to not throw in the towel when you're writing your agreement, even when it feels like it is so long and drawn out and stressful. We talk about how to respond to a high conflict ex and how craving emotional justice in divorce ultimately hurts the kids and just is not productive. And Cindy also shares a mindset strategy to put your trauma aside and co-parent for the kids. There are some great nuggets in this one. I can't wait for you to listen. Even if you're not going through a divorce right now, there is going to be some really good take-homes for you, whether it's co-parenting or even in your own marriage or just, I guess, anyone dealing with a tough personality. This is all just life skills 101, right? Okay, let's get to the episode. This episode is sponsored by Stepmom Magazine. Guys, Stepmom Magazine is probably one of the only stepmom resources that I check out on a regular basis. It is an online magazine with articles from all the top step parenting experts on all things stepmom life. If you've been through it, Stepmom Magazine has covered it. The articles inside Stepmom Magazine are written by a hand-selected team of experts. Contributors are licensed therapists and published authors and stepfamily professionals who just get it. Stepmom Magazine also has ebooks that you can download if you're struggling with a particular issue, such as disengaging or dealing with the ex or having an R's baby and more. It is a super cost-effective way to get support and most importantly, reassurance that you're not alone. It is such a great feeling when you get the monthly email letting you know that the monthly edition is ready. The articles are always so timely. To subscribe, head to www.stepmommagazine.com and use the code JAMIE20 to save 20%. Again, that's www.stepmommagazine.com and use the code JAMIE20 for 20% off. Cindy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I stumbled upon your 
Instagram account and I was going through all of your stuff and I was like, I need to talk to this woman. <laughs> she is has such great insight. So I'm pretty pumped about this conversation today. So I think to start, can you give us a little bit of a rundown on your story and how you started to do what you do? Yes. Well, I am a certified divorce coach and a certified divorce specialist. And I think it's probably no surprise as how I got into this, this line of work. I went through my own divorce four years ago now. And, you know, I did what everyone tends to do. I fell into that stereotypical adversarial battle of lawyering up. You know, it was me who wanted to leave my marriage. And, you know, the battle ensues where walls go up, you're no longer speaking to each other. All of a sudden, the lawyers are speaking for you. Legal fees are going through the roof and you're really getting nowhere. And I felt so alone in the process. I think partly to being a woman, you know, not being the breadwinner of my family, feeling like I don't know if I was making the right decision. It was a really scary experience. And through the whole the whole time, I realized that you know, there is nothing out there that really supports women or anyone really through the divorce process to teach them what they need to know. You know, everyone thinks the first thing you do is just get a, you get a lawyer. But, you know, now that I look back and knowing what I know now, that would have been something I kept until later. And I would have done a whole lot of things at the beginning that I could have done to save me money. I would have brought in specialists who really know how to help, let's say, with the financial picture, how to help with the parenting piece, instead of really getting to that lawyer. Because yes, you you are going to need one at the end of the day, but they don't necessarily have to come in right at the beginning. And I think that decision really sets the tone for how things go. And then you're basically saying, okay, let's fight to see who wins when you do it that way. And I realized through, you know, my training, my working with clients, even my own experience reflecting back, like this is something that we really could change the experience of just by allowing people information, education, and knowing their options. Because when you don't know, you don't know, right? And so you try to jump into what you're expected to do. And so that's sort of how it started for me. And I think a bit like you, I've listened to, you know, your podcast and your story and why you created the Stepmom community because you were searching for something. And so you decided that wasn't there. So you wanted to create something that worked for you and others. And I think that's really my goal as well is to create something that people are looking for. You know, 50% of long-term relationships break up or go through separation divorce. And we aren't offering them, I think, the kind of support that it takes to move them through and past divorce. I agree. And I think I said this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but my husband, Darren, and I were talking, wouldn't it be nice if instead of when you get divorced, instead of having like to go get a lawyer or like going through that process, you are assigned a caseworker who is an expert in all of these areas. So who's like an expert in, you know, the financial piece and who's the expert and like the kids. And you can look at your unique situation and what's best for everyone there. Because that's the piece too, when you're dealing with the lawyers, like there's there's no one size fits all approach, even though everything is kind of lumped into, well, you put this number into this equation and this number into this equation and you're entitled to this. And it's just, it's not an effective process and it does make things so much more long drawn out. And the only people who win are the lawyers because they're just killing it. And like every email to them is like 300 bucks. Yeah, well, exactly. And I kind of envision it as, you know, my big vision eventually is to figure out how we can have like almost like a one-stop shop for people who are getting divorced. Because I do agree. I think that 
we can be more in control of our process than we think. We really hand off that power to lawyers and then they don't know you. They don't live your, your life after this process. They're, they're earning their money to send their own kids to school. We should be focusing on, you know, saving your money to send your children to school and, and benefit your future. And how do you do that? And a lot of people, because they just don't know how it works, give up the pro give up control and sort of hope for the best type of thing right and a lot of it too is can be very black and white when it comes down to the numbers of divorce like yes there are numbers on the table but it doesn't necessarily have to be this 50 50 divide if that's not exactly what's going to work for you you know there's this like orange story that i like to equate it to sometimes like let's say little johnny and little sally are fighting over an orange in the kitchen and their mom wants them to share it. So what she does naturally is just cut it in the middle, cut it down the middle and they each get half. But had she really investigated a little bit deeper and asked some questions, she would have realized that, you know, Sally actually wanted the zest of the orange to make cake, let's say, and Johnny wanted the inside to make juice. And so they still would have been able to have like half of the same orange but just in a different way that met their needs but because we're not really investigating this deeper and figuring out like what is it that you need what is it that that the other person needs and figuring out how to create that so that you both can feel that your needs are being met in this mm -hmm. i totally agree darren and i always have this conversation about it's actually very it's weird we talk about it, but not really because of like what I do for work. But we always talk about what would happen if we split up. And I always say to him, you know, I think parents get caught up in the entitled piece and like, well, I'm entitled to this or I'm entitled to half or, you know, with custody, it's like 50-50. And yeah, 100%. But I said to him, I said, it would make zero sense for you to have Reese one week on, one week off or during the school year because I'm her primary caregiver. I am the one who takes her to all her appointments. And this is the role I have. And this is the role you have. And you're working, you're working late nights. Like it just wouldn't work. Like that actually doesn't make sense for our situation. And it's interesting because we do get caught up in that conversation. <laughs> one time we even kind of started arguing about it. I'm like, well, we're not actually splitting up. So why are we why are we fighting about this? But it's true. I do think you get just the way the lawyers say you should be doing it when that doesn't work for everyone's lifestyle, money, kids, all the things. It's so true. And it can evolve. I mean, we're so almost like this tunnel vision about the right now in divorce, but a lot of us don't think like, oh yeah, this changes. Like five years from now, this is going to look different. 10 years from now, this is going to look different. Why can't we do this in stages where, you know, to allow that evolution to happen, the kids might decide that they're going to live with whoever one day. But a lot of it, unfortunately, in the system comes down to the money attached to having that 50%, right? And so that's really the draw for people is they don't want to, they don't want to pay child support or a certain amount of child support. So somehow, you know, I understand the reason for it, but we need to look at it in a different way to see, well, what works best for you and how do we support you financially through these stages? Mm -hmm, for sure. Now you said something on your Instagram the other day, and I would love to dive into it. It was about projection. And it said, if you understood how frequently people cope by projection, you would learn to take nothing personally. Can you unpack that for me? Yeah. I mean, I think when we were learning to go through difficult times, you know, you start to learn about your own pro projections, especially through something like divorce. 
I mean, any relationships, when you have your own sense of insecurities, you tend to project those insecurities on other people. And I saw this a lot at the beginning of my divorce, you know, as a woman leaving her marriage, I came from a very, you know, secure, affluent marriage as well. Why would I leave this? You know, all of the fears and projections of others are on to you. Like, how dare she? What kind of mother are you? You know, how could she give up that lifestyle? And it made me feel so much shame and doubt and uncertainty about myself and my decisions. But as I moved through, you know, my own personal journey of healing, I realized that it wasn't about me at all. It's about other people and what they potentially fear and are insecure about. And the more I learned that and the more I started to almost you know, step back and not internalize other people's feelings or reactions, then the the more I saw that they're just projecting their own fears. It really comes down to what are you scared of? What, where are your anger? Where does your anger lie? Where's the pain for you? You know, where do you feel humiliated? And it helps me now a lot more when I'm dealing with my, with my ex-husband, because when he ever feels, you know, threatened by his parenting skills, it will come at me in a things that I'm not doing right. And so I have to look at like this is more than just, you know, this is more than just me right now. This is him feeling insecure about something or other. And I have to then, you know, I'm not gonna go and help that out necessarily, but I'm not gonna let that in as much as I might have. So I think just being really aware that when we are going through something, especially divorce, when there's so much pain, there's so much anger, there's so much blame and shame coming at you that it doesn't have, it doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with you sometimes. It has to do with that person, how they feel like maybe they didn't, they didn't stand up in this marriage like they should have, or they feel you're, you're making their biggest fears come true, a marriage breaking down and a family that they always thought they'd have is no longer going to be that. So I think just having that that idea in mind that don't take it personally because it likely has nothing to do with you at the end of the day. I agree with that. I have a different example just from the stepmom perspective. When I first got together with Darren, I was, well, I was 13 years, well, I still am 13 years younger, but I was 13 years younger. I was just super insecure about my age and how, you know, his friends who were older than me were you know, if they're going to be open to me and all of that. And it was interesting looking back because I can see it from, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. There were some women who were very rude to me and who were very closed off and were not open to our relationship and, and all of that. And looking back, I can see that those were the women who were not feeling great in their marriage or this was honestly like their worst nightmare, right? A divorce, someone moves on, brings in a new person. Like th- that was not about me. It was about the fear that I represented in them. And any of the women I can look back and say who were super welcoming, and there were so many who were welcoming and kind and open-minded and just, you know, it is what it is. Those are the women who are just so secure. And I can see that, that they were like confident and in their own. And I can see that now. But when you're in those emotional times, it's it's hard, right? Yeah. And I, I see that a lot with friendships too. As friendships change during divorce, you know, people tend to be polarized by it, right? They pick a side. And it's those friends who are really comfortable, A, in their marriage, B, with themselves, C, with not caring what everybody else thinks of how they show up. They're okay to have sort of like a a Switzerland attitude towards you and your ex-self. Like, okay, your divorce has nothing to do with me. I can still be civil and friendly to both of you. 
I don't need to take a side because it's not about me. And then you see others who are dividing because now they feel threatened. You know, is divorce contagious? Is this going to happen to us? Or, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of underlying things that people are concerned about. Just being aware of that is super important. And I like what you said about, you know, what you represent, because I think you had said something also on your Instagram a while back about, you know, how you show up as a, as a stepmom, because I'm, I'm not a stepmom officially, but I'm kind of a pseudo one with my, with my partner. We both have four kids between us and we've been together for three years. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that the relationship on the other side is still quite strained. And I think it's because of what I represent and, you know, and what he represents to my ex too. It's not necessarily about who we are as people. It's that, now we've stepped into those new roles and we get to parent and we have to, we get to have that relationship that, you know, we were trying to have at one point in our lives and no longer. So it is all about that. And the more that we can look at it from that perspective, I think the more that we can show even some compassion and empathy for the difficult people in our lives. Right. Mm -hmm. I always say, you know, people who are happy and content and confident, they don't, engage in conflict. They don't make things more difficult than they have to be. They don't do any of that. So if you can approach them and just have a little bit of empathy, yeah, sure. Maybe they're making your life super difficult. Maybe it's, you know, a very big pain in the earth to deal with. But if you can give them a little bit of grace and compassion and say, wow, you know, that must be hard to go through life like that, feeling like that, feeling so much anger because yeah, you have to deal with them in that moment, but they're dealing with that all the time right? Like that, that's, that's with them all the time. So that's where I'm always like empathy, grace, and compassion to, to the people who are the hardest to deal with in your life. That can go a long way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just leading with love. You know, people don't expect that sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. Now you talk a lot about mistakes that people make in divorce. Can you share some of the mistakes that you see people make and how you're trying to change that conversation? Yes, there are some common ones for sure. And I mean, because of the process, you know, I think first of all, we, we make mistakes right out of the gates by just not getting enough information, you know, not, not going to the right qualified resources, sticking to one professional thinking that the lawyer is going to encompass all of it. So we make mistakes there by not trusting specialists for each piece of the divorce pie, you know, and the more people you think, oh my God, this is so expensive. This process is overwhelming as it is. I don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. But what I've learned from the process and what I help my clients with is that your divorce actually needs a team of people. We can't rely on one person to do all of these jobs because that's not going to be the most effective way. And in fact, the more people you bring in to do special pieces of your divorce, the less it's actually going to cost you in the long run. I know it's hard to imagine that, but it's so true at the end of the day. So that's kind of one of the, of the mistakes. A second mistake I see a lot is the throwing in the towel mistake. You know, they're really ready to give up. They are sick of the fight. They are so tired. They just want out. And maybe their ex-spouse is, you know, more powerful than them in this process. They've got a stronger lawyer. You know, they're far more threatening. And so you tend to feel super worn down by the process. So either you give up and concede and take, let's say, less than what you could. You leave a lot on the table. Or you give up entirely on the divorce. You know, sometimes I see people, and my I was in this situation myself, where 
you are stuck in this marriage and you can't leave because your finances have been cut off. Your ex spouse is bullying you that they will take you for everything or that you're not going to be able to make it on your own. And so you're torn with this whole, I don't know if I can leave this marriage. Maybe I should just stay. It's easier. It's less scary. It's you know more secure if I just stay. So I've seen that a lot too. And that to me is it's sad, but it's it's a very common problem. Another thing I see is betting the farm on another relationship. You know, we get into relationships pretty soon, sometimes after a divorce, and even in but in the middle of it, because divorces can take years, right? And we when we get into a new relationship, we have that honeymoon approach, right? That we all do at the beginning, and we think, oh, this person, you know, he's he or she is amazing. They're everything my ex isn't and the financial security they're offering me, you know, gives me that feeling that maybe I should just give up. Like, I'm not going to fight so hard for this. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about, you know, all the assets because I'm going to be taken care of over here. Like this person's going to bankroll me through the next phase of my life. But, you know, sometimes I'm like a reality check here. Like you're divorced at this stage. You kind of realize now how uncertain the longevity of a relationship can be. We all go in at the beginning thinking it's going to be for forever, or at least for the most part. So knowing that, you know, have a little bit of more real reality about the situation that maybe this isn't going to be forever. And especially if it's at the beginning and don't bet at all on this new relationship, because it might not, might not work out for the long run. Mm -hmm. Because the divorce rate when there's kids involved is like in the seventies, right? For second marriages. Well, yeah, it's like it goes into the 60s for second and then 70% for third marriages. I think there's just a lot at play there financially, kids, you know, even emotional baggage from the, you know, your first marriage that you haven't dealt with. Difficult exes can really get in the way of that too, put a lot of strain on marriages. And then just expectations. I think for women, women tend to go into their second marriage with a different reason. You know, usually have a bit more of a, of an agenda in mind in terms of they want financial security, you know, they don't want to be alone and they would rather just make a, make a decision and move in with someone quicker because it's easier and more comfortable that way than staying and pursuing themselves for a while. And then I think another decision that, or another mistake people make is that they really want guarantees and certainty. You know, you're trying to negotiate a settlement and you don't know if this is going to be the right one for you. And so you kind of get stuck. You really need certainty and you need to know but becoming comfortable with being uncertain is part of the process. And I think your settlement has to just be, is this enough for me? Like maybe could you get more if you kept pressing and kept fighting? Maybe, but maybe not. So at what point is your threshold where, you know, this is, this is enough and I'm going to be okay. And then knowing I have to be comfortable with this decision going forward. A lot of people get stuck on the what ifs and can't get past that. And then you have people who, you know, are the taking the my way or the highway approach. And you see those couples all the time where one is set and they're not negotiating and they refuse to. And that then ensues the whole reason to need to go to court because they will just, they won't bend. There will be no negotiation. They refuse to even you know, entertain the other side's needs. And that, that in itself just sends up the cost. It drags it out. It sends up the cost, especially when you're trying not to spend a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you can end up spending more in the court process than you're going to get out of it. 
our lawyer was telling us about a couple who had both spent like 20 grand over like 15. <laughs> like if you think about it. Exactly. I always say like, don't spend a thousand dollars on a $300 television, <laughs> you know, fighting over a television. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just got to take, I think you get, there's so many emotional, it's like emotional trauma, right? Like you talk about that and you almost want to get that other person back for hurting you the way that they have. So this is the way that you can do it because you don't have any control in other any other areas of life. I do feel like there's a lot of situations where this is this is the last thing you can do to make things difficult for them or make them pay. And that's just such a huge mistake to go in with that mentality. Yeah, well, that's the emotional justice piece, right? I think that people mostly fight because they're still looking for that emotional justice. So they'd rather, you know, refuse to share the kids because they still are hurt and angry and resentful about however the marriage broke down, you know, or they're they're going to take this all the way to court because they're really hoping secretly that the judge is going to put your ex both in their place and tell them all the things that they did wrong and that that's going to make you feel better about it. But I mean, that does not happen. It never happens. Like that emotional justice has to happen from yourself. It can't happen from those outside choices. And that is what causes such, you know, the the animosity and the adversarial approach to a lot of divorces. And that's typically what, what ends, what takes you to court is why you end up in court. And I'm seeing a lot of change over the country now, actually, where you actually are cha- the laws are changing across the provinces where they're not allowing you to actually get to court unless you've gone through a process of mediation to work that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, the courts don't care, right? Like they don't care about the emotional. They don't care. Like, is there a child protection concern? Yes or no? Like how much, like it, it's all like an equation. It's very black and white with the courts. And I think that's what people don't understand too, Right. And you spend so much time and energy documenting or sending your lawyer a letter about your opinion on how they're doing life or your opinion on how they're parenting and different values. And at the end of the day, a judge is going to make a decision and they don't actually care about that kind of stuff. They really and truly don't. They, it's just another case on their docket. Yeah. And I think, and that's also when it comes down to your lawyer too. And so many of us use our lawyers as very expensive therapists. Right. And so that's sort of when, you know, my role as a coach comes in a lot of the times is because like, let's talk about those opinions about why you think parenting should be this way. Let's talk about why you think your parenting schedule works in this best way and how pickup should be. Your lawyer could talk to you about this. Yes, but it's going to cost you a lot more money than working all of those logistical, you know, ideas out with the coach who you can then work through all of those emotional issues and places that you're stuck. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't agree more. As I have been sharing, a huge focus of mine in 2022 is to simplify life. I want to create ease and stop feeling like I'm being pulled in all different directions. Making that happen involves creating systems and delegating. I have spent a lot of time going through and seeing where I can delegate and create systems in my life to create more ease and flow in my day. I'm done with the hustle. I'm done feeling like I can't get ahead. I know there are easier ways to manage business, parenting, and life. A huge part of the system involves outsourcing whenever possible, and that's where HelloFresh comes in. I worked with HelloFresh for a couple years now, and they never disappoint. With easy, family-friendly dinners right to your door, you can cut down on the time spent shopping, prepping, cooking, and meal planning. 
You get fresh seasonal pre-portioned ingredients with everything you need. There are 30 plus recipes to choose from every week that you can whip up in as little as 20 minutes. We even have a rural address and the box is left at our doorstep. The big sell for me is the flexibility though. You can choose your meals a month in advance, skip deliveries on weeks when it doesn't work for your schedule, or you can change your address if you're gonna be away or up at the cottage. When we use HelloFresh, we end up saving money on groceries. I highly, highly recommend trying them out. And if you like potatoes, their potato wedges and homemade ranch are the freaking best. Head to www.hellofresh.ca and use the code SJamie16 for up to 16 free meals. That's hellofresh.ca and use the code SJamie16 for up to 16 free meals. And seriously, you need to try the potato wedges. I want to go back for a second to your one tip on not throwing in the towel. Because I think this is where a lot of people make a huge mistake too. So I totally agree. Why do you, I'm going to share after why I think it's important, but why is this so important from your perspective? Well, there's, you know, throwing in the towel meaning like don't give up on the process. Yeah. Don't give up on the process or someone who's like, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. I don't care what I get. I don't care what this looks like. I just want it to be done. Sure. I'll sign. Like, let's just move on. And, and so this can all be over with. Yes. Well, you know, it's your future that you are really negotiating here. And it's not about, let's see how much more I can get out of this person. It's really about how can I set my future up so that I know that I'm going to be okay for the long term? You know, when you throw in that towel, it's typically only because you're emotionally exhausted. And you haven't done also the big picture creation of what is it, what is it that I need out of this? And what does it take for me to be okay? And a lot of that comes down to taking the time to do the research, to walk through what your financials look like, what this means to you in the long run. You know, a lot of times we want to get out because we want it over. I don't care. I'll leave it on the table. But what could you potentially be giving up? And you have to rebuild back that life. I mean, if you've got kids, you've got to create a life that will be able to support them in the future. And if you're a mom who's been stay at home for most of her life and she thinks that she's going to, you know, walk into her first job and make 100 grand a year and she'll be okay, I know I can work it out. Likely, yes, you likely can, but it will take a lot more time than you potentially think. So why would you put yourself in that situation of being at risk in that way? And I've seen a lot of times, like my, even my partner, he, you know, it it just came on so fast. It was fast and furious, you know, to the mediator, to court, let's just get this done. He was exhausted. And I think just overwhelmed that you just give in. And now looking back, it's like, oh, had I just waited a little longer? Had I just thought about that a bit more? Had I just taken my time? Or even had I just gotten different advice? Because sometimes we get into the, onto this path and we have a lawyer who might not necessarily have our best interests and they're driving the process and we let that happen. For me, I actually changed lawyers three times at the very beginning because I just didn't feel it in my gut that, you know, I, to me, I had like, I had this one chance. I had one chance to do this right and I needed to make sure that I was going to be protected, that I was going to be okay. I wanted to be fair. I wasn't going to be, you know, this crazy person, but I just wanted to make sure that I was going to make the right choices for me. And so I think throwing in the towel is a huge mistake and just rushing 
rushing the process. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's important to remember that lawyers have different perspectives too, right? Sometimes they just want to get this done too. I know they're the first agreement that my husband had, everyone would agree it was very vague. Like everything was very vague. And I do think that's a big mistake too, because they're like, it's okay, we'll just figure it out as we go. You are bound to this legal agreement for a very long time. And if you don't go through and do this carefully and have the right disclaimers in and make things ever very, very clear, you can really set yourself up for a lot of conflict down the road. You can always just do what feels right in the moment if both people agree, right? And I always say that to people because I know there's so many couples who split and they don't want to have a strict legal agreement because they just want to, you know, figure it out as they go. And that works really, really well until it doesn't, until someone has a new partner or life, you know, is going to change. And people make these agreements based on where they're at in their play, their life right now, not thinking, okay, in five years, I might be with another partner and we might want to create a life together. Like, what does Christmas look like then? Like, we're not all going over to the ex's house for Christmas day. You, you know what I mean? Like, you don't know where life is going to be. So even those little co-parenting pieces, like that all needs to be really clear in a co-parenting agreement because it helps create so much more peace because you just know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you take the conflict out of it because it makes it very clear. You know, I always say it's about d- dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's because you want to be make sure that that's as detailed as possible because you don't want to open the door to any future arguments or disagreements. Even small things like how do birthdays work? How does Mother's Day and Father's Day work? Like who gets the kids when? Like if you can be as detailed as possible in your agreement, you're just closing the door on any possible issues that are going to come up. And I've had this so many, I mean, how many times in my past four years have I had to send like my ex the copy of the agreement again? Like, remember, this is how we do it. Remember, this is how we do it. If you don't have that in there, we don't really have that sense of protection until you both get used to how it works. And, you know, of course, if there are things that just aren't working, you know, you wrote it in and it doesn't work for either of you, then you can go back and look at how you can make it work. But at least it gives you a starting place to create that peace and create that that sense of, of consistency, at least also for the kids too. Mm-hmm. I talk to stepmoms a lot and they'll say, we're going back to court. We're rewriting some stuff. What should we include? And I always say, think back to the last however many years, what has been an argument? What has been a co-parenting fight? And come up with a solution in that document for those situations. Like who's, you know, the big thing for us at one point, it was so stupid if you look back on some of the things, it was bringing the hockey equipment back and forth. It was just like, who should be doing that? And, or who should be picking up the kids on their week? Like how, how does how does the transportation of the kids? So we literally had to put in on so-and-so's week, They will transport the kids at this time. On Christmas, you will do this. And this is where they will be picked up. Like everything is in there. And it seems ridiculous, but it's so smart. Yeah. And it seems over the top is so smart because it really reduces all of those issues. And you think, oh my God, I don't know where I'm going to be. Well, it doesn't matter. Put a place, (laughs) you know, figure it out. So you actually do know where you're you're going to be. And I I love that piece about the equipment because a lot of parents, deal with that. And so they're like, well, do we have two sets of equipment or, you know, who brings things back and forth? So writing that in is so huge. I have that going on right now. You know, I had to move 20 minutes away from my, my, my family home, my, from my ex-husband and he doesn't want to bring the ski equipment to me. So I, you know, so I have to go get, I'm like, I didn't write that in the agreement. I should have written that in <laughs> all those small things. 
Yeah. And even looking back when we were going through all of that kind of stuff, because I know there's a lot of people co-parenting right now. Sometimes it's just easier just to do it than to fight over things like ski equipment and like the hockey equipment and like all of that. It's, it gets to the point where it just feels so unfair and like such a burden. And you're just like, why? Like, why is this such a big deal? It's common sense. But sometimes when you're giving people who want to argue over things like that, the power to even, it's just like, okay, I'll come get it. Whatever. You know, this is just not worth the energy. What's that saying? It's like sometimes peace is better than being right. <laughs> Yeah. And I think sometimes we just have to take the high road and remember, especially when it comes to the kids, that it's not about your ex. It's about the kids. It's the kids gear. Do they need it? Yes. Where are they going to be? Well, with you. So what makes most sense? You know, do you have, you should probably just put yourself, you know, in that position of doing it for them and remembering that it doesn't really matter. Anyone else doesn't matter except for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. We came up with a system where on the weeks that the kids, so we do week on week off on the weeks that the kids were coming to us, we would go pick up their stuff. So instead of it being dropped off that way, if there was anything forgot, we could be like, no, can you run back in and get that? So you could kind of be on top of it. That always worked. That worked really, really well for us. Yeah. That's exactly the way that I do it as well. Yeah, definitely. It's just a system and it's putting those things in in place in your system because I think that that's the most important thing. And then looking forward, you know, we can look at now, but looking forward and I think that's also building in those financial pieces. Like when you're, when your child's old enough to have a phone, like how old is that going to be? Who's going to pay for it? You know, how about car? How old is that going to be? Who's going to pay for it? Like, what about insurance? Like, what do you both expect to happen in the future? And with two separate homes, you know, you might have this expectation for your child that they, they need to be working and they need to be contributing to this car or this phone, but the other parent doesn't really care. So because I don't want to interrupt our vacation time in the summer, so the job is kind of pointless. So you have to be sure that you're looking kind of ahead in terms of what do we want this to look like. It's likely that you're going to differ on a lot of your parenting going forward in those ways, but at least if you have an idea in terms of those big purchases that could come your way in the future, how are we going to handle it? Mm -hmm. And like post-secondary, how does that work? And all of the expenses that come with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need a plan. You need a planner. You're going to be doing a lot of amending agreements, (laughs) amendments. And it's going to be very expensive. (laughs) Oh yeah. Fun times. Now, can we talk about the BIF responses for a second? This is the second time I've heard, I haven't really heard about this until recently. So I would love to just dive in. Can you uh, just share a little bit about that for us? Yes, for sure. So if this is a, it's a communication method that's used for high conflict, you know, communications between an ex or anyone really. And it was invented by Bill Eddy. He is the co-founder or the founder of the High Conflict Institute. And it goes back, oh my gosh, I don't even know how long, years and years. And it stands for BIF, the BIF method, B-I-F-F, stands for brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So it's all about how you basically construct a response to an email. And if you're really good, you can do this verbally. But I think a lot of people in the heat of the moment prefer to be able to do this in writing. But how to take emotion right out of the responses that you might be getting from a high conflict person. So when we're in high emotion, we all know that we say things we don't mean when something's coming at us from an ex. Usually it triggers something else, which then opens up that rabbit hole of shame, blame, we're here because of you, all that stuff, right? 
So how do you then, you know, reel it back in and not respond to all of that guilting and shaming and just focus on exactly the facts at hand? Like, what is it that this email is about? What do I actually have to address? Or do I even have to address it at all? You know, or is this just a rant and I can, okay, put that aside and not have to respond to it? It does take a lot of, of personal emotional training, though, to be able to be strong enough to not take that in and want to retaliate, right, by justifying or validating yourself. But being able to formulate a response back that strictly adheres to the facts and that also gives them sort of when you want them to respond by. So, you know, asking a question, giving them a date in terms of when you need something to be to be responded to. Let's say you want to know what their holiday days are over Christmas. Which days are you taking? I'd like to know so we can plan our holidays. Please let me know by Friday, let's say. Instead of just leaving it open, like, hey, what, what days would you like over the holidays? Let me know. Well, that just opens the whole situation of this now beginning back and forth and this negotiation because you're basically giving it up to the other person instead of a little bit being a bit more directive and firm about how you sort of want this to go and being friendly. You know, I always say to people, don't write anything that you don't want to be read in court one day because it could, you don't know that it could. Um, and there's a lot of emotional turmoil that happens over email. So how do you filter that out? I work with my clients a lot in their responses to those difficult emails so that it comes across just super brief, addressing the points. And sometimes we think we're doing it that way, but we don't realize that we're sort of responding to something that could potentially trigger something else to happen. And so when you have a third party read it and take all of that emotion out because they're not in that moment, it's amazing how much you don't actually need to say and still be able to get the answers that you need. And when you respond like this to a high conflict personality, they get used to the fact that they're not able to press your buttons anymore. They're realizing, okay, I'm not getting the response that I would like here. And so it tends to really reduce that conflict. And maybe you might not get as many emails a week. <laughs> well, that's always a goal for a lot of people. I think when um, you're writing emails, it's interesting how you can read it and the way someone else reads it is like two different ways. I was working with a client a couple of weeks ago and she had sent me an email to review and she's like, yeah, so this is this is not going to be seem like judgmental or this is not going to seem like it's coming on too strong. And I, and I was like, uh well, maybe we can change and tweak and maybe say hi or like just just even those little greetings and stuff and just the words that you use and the tone of the email can go a long way in how people receive it too. And huge, huge, huge. And But it was just really interesting because the way she thought she was sending it was completely different the way that I received it. And I, and I said, I, this, is, this won't be received well. So even I think taking 24 hours too to review your emails a little bit later and and read it from the perspective of the person receiving the email can help. Oh, I think 100%, especially if you're receiving a really emotionally charged email. I always say don't look at it like for 24 hours because you need to reduce that temptation to respond, which you tend to want to do at least for the first 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes of getting it, right? You can't let it go. But the more you let it go, the more you can actually read better into it. And sometimes when we're in the heat of those mo- those moments, we get that email 
we can misread it often. We think we've read something that, and then we respond and we look back later and go, oh, it's not really what they're asking or what they said. And so giving yourself a chance to really digest it, cool off, you know, let your brain come out of that emotionally charged place and you have a much better chance of responding in a better way. And also removing, you know, any language that could be seen as threatening or condescending, like you statements, you know, replace them with I statements and let's keep out I feel or I think that and let's just look at facts as they are. Mm-hmm. Business like it's it's like it, that's really how you have to think of it. Like take the emotion out of it. You wouldn't send if you're dealing with a high conflict employee or someone that you're working with. Like you wouldn't be responding with all of your emotions about what you really think about how they do their job, right? Like you would keep that. You would keep that out of it. Now the other thing I want to dive into is you talk about how you need to put your trauma aside when you're co-parenting with the ex, which is so important. How do you do that though? Like, how do you coach your clients into doing that? Because there's a lot of hurt feelings when it comes to, you know, ex-partners and co-parenting. And that's the kind of stuff that starts to creep in, right? The ego, the hurt feelings, the the resentment that comes from the, the past. How do you co-parent without that in the equation? Because I think that's where everyone struggles. I, yeah, I think always, you know, it's always comes down to that pain and anger and resentment that's still bubbling up from the past. And it takes a lot of work to be able to separate that trauma from, you know, what is best for your kids. And it does take a lot of practice when you're in that moment. And I, when I'm working with my clients and we're looking at, okay, is this an issue that, that is about the children? And let's not look at what you think that he or she is entitled to or should have or what's fair. What's fair for them? Let's look at it from a perspective as a child. How do you think they would look? they would feel in this, in this situation and really try to switch it to the point of view of the kids instead of what I think as a parent is best as opposed to what he might think is, as a parent is best. And do I even know? Sometimes I might not necessarily know what's best or what I think is best for them isn't actually what's best for them at the end of the day. You know, and really putting on that different hat of separating this isn't about me, this isn't about your relationship, but now you have to shift and put on the parenting hat. Like, how would you want to show up as a parent? And if you were that child, how would you want this to, to go for you? You know, I think that's it's one of the hardest things to do because there's so much pain and resentment that gets in the way and fogs your decisions and fogs how you communicate Sometimes I have to say too to my clients, what would you have done in this situation had you not been divorced? Because that will take him out of the equation or her out of the equation because you would have done this decision anyways. So what would that have looked like? Yeah, that's so true. Because it brings up an opportunity to stick it to the ex when it's actually about the kids. One of the girls that who took one of my early coaching programs, she was sharing her strategy, which was to stop calling the ex the ex and start calling it your children's mother. Just even that language shift, right, can, can change that or your children's father. You know, when you're talking about an ex, that's an emotional word, right? It's charged. Whereas the kid's mom is, or the kid's dad is less threatening. It is. Yeah, it's so true. It is all about language. And even the word divorce, you know, is charged. And I think that if we can, sometimes I feel like if we can use these words more often, then they lose their charge a bit more. When I was going, you know, through my certification and starting my practice, 
I remember sitting around with some girlfriends of mine and like, oh, I'm certified. I'm going to be a divorce coach. And I need to think of a name for myself. And everyone was like, well, think of something cute as long as you just don't use the word divorce. <laughs> so I was like, but, but why? They're like, well, because it's just so, you know, so harsh. And so use something like happily ever after or whatever, whatever that is, that's something soft. And that's when I realized that we put way too much weight on this one word. And this is why it's become so stigmatized in our society based on this uncomfortable word, like that we call the D word, you know, the big D, right? How do we get rid of that stigma and that, that taboo and that uncomfortableness talking about it is that we use it a lot. So I use it a lot in my practice. It's called divorce redefined. And I like to use the word divorce all the time <laughs> and it makes people uncomfortable, but I feel like that's what, that's what it is. It doesn't change what it is, you know, just because we use a softer word. And I think we just have to address the nature of the experience and not the word itself. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I feel the same way about stepmom. People are like, oh, stepmom. It just has this like stigma attached to it. I like to use the word bonus mom, or I used to, we like to use whatever word people use. But I'm like, you are a stepmom though. Like that, that's actually what this is. Like, why don't we work on changing how people perceive us when we use that word versus like coming up with another word? Cause there's nothing wrong with the word stepmom. Like, I don't, I actually don't love the word bonus mom. Like that doesn't work for me. I just, I think it seems very, I don't know. It just, it's never felt right for me. It's like, who says I'm a bonus, right? Like they didn't ask for me to come. Like I just showed up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really important just to open up these conversations and just normalize it because this is what family looks like now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't, it's a redefined version and a reorganization of your family structure. You know, I had a friend that said to me once, he's like, I don't want to call you a divorce coach. I want you to call you uh, a, what is it? An engineer in domestic reorganization. <laughs> and I said, huh, that's interesting. Why? Because you can't use the word divorce. It's too uncomfortable. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're like, that's legit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time today. Where can everyone find you? Well, I like to be over on Instagram quite often. I find that sort of my place that I hang, hang out at Divorce Redefined. I'm dabbling a little bit in TikTok as well at Divorce Redefined. And then um, my website is divorceredefined.ca. And you have courses and coaching? I do. So I do mostly one-on-one coaching with individuals or with couples who want to learn how to navigate the divorce process in a more sensible, more rational and cost-effective way and really feel supported through the process. I also do group work with Right now with women, most most specifically, where they can come learn, meet other professionals in the field, feel that they have are not alone in the process and can really gain some great, great resources. So that's really how it works. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I love what you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. For sure. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I think this isn't going to be the first time we talk. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and chat soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for tuning in. You guys know the drill. If this resonated, share it with someone who you think will love it too. And if you haven't already, I would be forever grateful if you could head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you're craving more stepmom content, want to connect with me and stepmoms from all over the world and get access to exclusive content with all my favorite experts, be sure to check out the exclusive stepmom community 
www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. Members also get access to my online magazine and can listen in on coaching calls with fellow stepmoms. www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. Love you guys. We'll chat with you next week.